What's good, jazz fans? Welcome back to Jabber Jazz. It's so awesome to be to be back. Really excited to be here with you guys again. Uh, it's been a while, but we're here ready to deliver more fan-driven, ad-free Utah Jazz basketball content uh, to YouTube and to your podcatcher and engaging with all of you via Twitter. Today, we are explaining a little bit about why we're back now, the hiatus that uh, we took over the last couple seasons, and getting right into Media Day impressions. Utah Jazz Media Day was uh, on, on Monday, and we're going to get into all the impressions that, that we had on the pod. So if you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast right here in your podcatcher or on YouTube. Uh, if you'd like to support us even further, consider leaving a review, giving us a shout out on social media. Uh, and if you're a real big fan, uh, we'd appreciate you uh, heading over to our merch store and checking out uh, some of the awesome gear that we have over there. All of the proceeds go to keeping the lights on here and giving you more fan content. All right, well, let's get into it. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're really excited to be bringing Jabber Jazz back and delivering Utah Jazz content to you all once again. Four years ago, I, Adam Bushman, started this blog, this podcast, and a YouTube channel and tried to deliver more ad-free Utah Jazz fan-driven content. And, and that was the whole mission kind of from day one. Uh, it started as kind of a, you know, a little side project and we, and we morphed it into something bigger. And it was really gaining some traction and the, the pandemic hit. NBA basketball shut down and, and we were really devoid of content. And at that point, I kind of took the... I guess I made the decision that uh, I needed to take my life in a, in a certain personal direction. So when the uh, pandemic hit, I made a decision to go back to school, finish up my degree, and I opted to suspend some Jabber Jazz content in the interim. Uh, but I earned my, I earned my bachelor's degree uh, in data science and statistics, so I'm now just ever so slightly more... Uh, qualified to speak to you guys on on the numbers uh, surrounding our, our Utah Jazz. Uh, also in the inter interim, I joined the SLC Dunk team. I've been contributing a lot of content there. Hopefully you've followed me on my personal Twitter account, at Adam underscore Bushman, and some of the work I've been doing over there. But now, beginning again this season, we're having regular Jabber Jazz content once again. And I decided to resurrect it because this is a a huge passion of mine, and I continually feel there's a need uh, for more fan fan driven content. Um, and I specifically wanted to do it ad free this time. Uh, we've tried the ads in the past. You know, we tried some little things here or there to uh, to drive uh, a little bit of dollars our way to uh, you know pay for all the expenses that come with uh, providing this type of content. Uh, but Done with all that, didn't enjoy the experience, and I know as, as a fellow listener of other podcasts that it's, it's just not a good experience. So we're done away with all of that, and we're going to be delivering uh, more ad-free, uh, ad fan-driven content, and really diving into a lot of the, the stats, the film, and bringing on some incredible guests to help dive into the, the macro topics that are going to be affecting the Utah Jazz this season and beyond. So we also got a new look, similar content. Um, you can see uh, new logo. Uh, we've rebranded things to 
be copacetic to the new Utah Jazz rebrand, and, and hopefully uh, that makes us a little more recognizable, but also maybe if you're not a, a fan of the rebrand, hopefully some of the stuff that we're doing with, with our aesthetics can, uh, can be complimentary in that way. Uh, if you'd like to score some merch, like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, please hit up our, our merchandise store. Uh, everything is, is modestly priced, and, and the proceeds there just help, help us keep making awesome content for you guys. All right, so let's get into Utah Jazz Media Day. This is always just the, the best time. It's we've just wrapped up the the dead zone of the off season, you know we, and in fact our our off seasons you know extended quite a ways into that dead period. What with the Donovan Mitchell trade happening in early September, but uh, this is this is really the fun time. Training camp begins now. We're in the thick of it. We're going to be hearing a lot about how things are going there. Seeing fun video, um, the the beat writers are going to keep a pulse on what's going on. And then uh, coming up this Sunday, our first preseason game, and in just two short weeks after that, kicking off the regular season. Boom! Holy cow! Can't even believe it. But so excited to be here, and I, I can't wait to be joining you the whole way. So the media day took place over eight hours of live streamed video. You can check out the full media day, including all of the hours of downtime. Yes, that was quite a pain for those who who joined in live. But I'm here to uh, recap all of media day, uh, specifically point out what impressed me the most from all the statements made by coaches and our players. So let's get into it. At first, I wanted to just shout out an article that I, I uh, sent out there on slc.com on Monday that detailed the four major themes that I I saw from all of the statements made by the team. Uh, those four major themes that, uh, from the article are a style of play. I'll get into that a little bit more uh, in my impressions of what Will Hardy mentioned. Uh, building relationships with the team. Uh, uh, Getting to a winning culture, establishing a winning culture. Justin Zanuck, some of the thoughts that he gave kind of impressed me, and I'll be able to share that with you. And then opportunities abounding for all of the guys on the team, be them new uh, or or carryover members from last year's team. So go check out that article if you get a chance. Uh, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. So let's go into my thoughts and impressions from each statement. And let's start off with Justin Zanuck. So Justin Stanick, Justin Zanuck took the, the podium first and really talked about how this season it's all about opportunities. The trades that they made uh, were to uh, provide more opportunities to have a growth approach, not only to the season, but to the roster, ultimately trying to get to a championship level. What I thought was really interesting also about what he said is that the trades uh, were opportunity driven and that if you follow along with the team, currently you know we have far too many players currently uh, with guaranteed salaries that will then we have roster spots for. So it's very, very clear that the Jazz are going to have to cut some people. More on that later, but he he really stressed how this this training camp is an opportunity uh, for everybody on the team and that they're really hoping to find 
uh, some guys that can carry over into a successful season. He also mentioned that the players will tell us who will play. It's virtually a direct quote, and it really seems like they're open-minded coming into training camp about who's going to be playing. So next, next let's talk about Will Hardy. Uh, what I loved first off of what he said is that the style of play is going to be very up-tempo. He mentioned that everybody's going to get involved. Uh, he specifically called out that when uh, actions or um, responsibilities are centralized into one player, uh, one or two players, how that's not fun for everyone, for anyone. And so it definitely seems like from that Popovich coaching tree, sharing the basketball is going to be a real talking point for him in camp uh, and, and likely throughout his tenure with the Utah Jazz. Uh, he also mentioned that toughness, passion, physicality, effort are also going to be hallmarks of the team. He specifically mentioned that they are going to spend a lot of time getting conditioned in camp. Again, that up-tempo, you know, it, it sounds like they really, really want to play fast, get into the half court early, and, and, and score in transition, which I'm, I'm really, really excited to see. That's something that throughout the Quinn Snyder area. We didn't force turnovers. We didn't get out in transition. And the very few times where we got into the half court early, we almost always were settling for threes. Not a bad shot by any means. But now we have the athletes who can get to the rim uh, and who can score in transition where yeah, it's just really, really efficient if you got the athletes to do it. So pretty excited about that. Third up from the podium was Leandro Balmero. Uh, this is the, uh, the Argentine um, who was drafted by Minnesota last year, uh, just played in Eurobasket, or not Eurobasket, uh, the America Cup, excuse me, and, uh, and now is joining the Jazz. What he specifically uh, talked about was working on his shooting. He, he is uh, not a natural shooter, uh, but he specifically mentioned that he's feeling good about his progress. And usually I take all those things with a grain of salt. I mean, who doesn't feel good about themselves? I mean, come on. Um, but he specifically said that he identified some issues with, with timing, um, with positioning. And so when he said that he identified specific issues and has been working on them, hey, you know what, that, that's at least something. That's you know a smaller grain of salt that I can take to that. But ultimately, he's, he's one of the candidates to be cut. You know, if, if he's not showing the propensity to shoot while others are, or if he, he's not as conditioned, um, or he's, he's not acclimating to uh, the style of play that Will Hardy wants, you know, he's a cut candidate for sure. All right, let's talk about Colin Sexton next. Uh, Colin is just, Man, what a charismatic personality that guy is. Man, he's going to be so fun to watch, going to be a great interview. Um, really excited about him. But uh, the thing that he really mentioned was how he has really started diving into the film, and that was a hallmark of the time that he was out last year with the ACL injury. He really learned to love film. He mentioned that he's a visual learner, which honestly makes a lot of sense. Most of us are. Most of us want to learn via diagram or a demonstration of step-by-step -step processes versus you know just being told or or reading uh, that is generally how uh, I, I think most people nowadays like to learn um, so you know it, it seemed it seemed pretty impressive to me that uh, 
that he's kind of starting to put that together and hopefully all that time studying film and then having a good handful of months uh, completely healthy is gonna you know make sure that he's kicking off the season really well so now we're, we're talking Cody Zeller Cody Zeller was someone who was recently announced as um, as signed with the Jazz. Uh, he's another cut candidate, um, ultimately because, I mean, think about the amount of bigs we got uh, on the team. Uh, true bigs, we've got Kelly Olenek, who was part of the Bogdanovich trade. We'll get to him later. We've also got Udoka Azubuki. We've got Walker Kessler. And then if you think about it, uh, Larry Markinen and Jared Vanderbilt are... You know, some of those combo bigs um, or small ball type bigs uh, who can do different things. So there's a kind of a crowded front court. So that's why he's kind of a cut candidate. And really what, what he talked a little bit about was um, how he's healthy now. He's ready to prove and he's motivated to show that he's healthy. And one thing he mentioned that I, I have not caught on to uh, and just because, you know, he's been floating around through various teams uh, throughout his career is that he's had eight surgeries in nine seasons that kind of blew me away like what a what a brutal way to go go about your career and you know and he mentioned how it's you know in in some ways held back what he had as expectations for himself so it'll be interesting to to see there um i'll get to wh- who i think are the most likely or, or who my preferences are to cut uh, towards the end of the episode here, um, but but he's definitely a candidate uh, because of how crowded the position is right now. Uh, Johnny Juzang uh, or Johnny Zhang, I gotta gotta figure out how to pronounce that. But uh, he really stressed opportunity, and like I mentioned, that was a constant theme for all of the statements that were were made in media day uh, he really stressed how it's an opportunity for him to learn he's interested in it he is on a two-way contract so uh, you know he's he's going to be floating back and forth between the team and the stars and and that'll be great for him it'll be a perfect situation rudy gay man this dude got up to the podium and just his face his demeanor the way the way he kind of I guess bantered with the media in a way, uh, totally gave off the impression that, you know, he's, he's disgruntled. He's frustrated by, you know, how, how he was handled his role last year, but then also that, you know, this is not the team that he signed up for. You know, he came to us in free agency, you know, we, uh, we did all we could, giving him that that big contract, that player option in the third year, uh, to really sell him on being on this what we thought was a championship team. And he's he's clearly clearly not not interested and doesn't really want to be here. In fact, he he sent out that that tweet a couple weeks ago about I don't want to be here. And you know, of course, with with all all of these, uh, you know. NBA or, or I guess professional athlete posts, you know, they're always, you know, a little bit murky by design, but I think that one was pretty obvious. So clearly disgruntled, though he said he believes that uh, he's playing. He says, uh, I'm playing. So that'll be something that uh, the Jazz are going to have to figure out for sure. So Mike Conley, this one's interesting because we've all kind of pegged him as, you know, ever since the Gobert trade and and as the Donovan Mitchell trade rumors start really heating up, he's a guy that we really pegged as 
someone the team would move off of and, and try to move. But ultimately, we've we've heard that due to his partial guarantee, and when we say partial guarantee, it's like $14 million next year, that has really prohibited teams from wanting to snag him up. But in talking with Mike and hearing his perspective on things, he's said that his family's really settled here, his wife and him have friends, kids are going to school, they did youth sports over the summer, and he he is really just interested in keeping his family here. Even if a trade were to happen, he, he wouldn't, uh, you know, he would embrace it, but he said the family would stay here and, and, you know, it would be it would be complicated because he'd be he'd be moving on to another team. So that puts it into perspective a little bit. Just the I guess, you know, how how it hits these these guys as people. But he said he's really interested in embracing that mentorship role as as the veteran of the team. And even Colin mentioned that he's gravitated toward Mike uh, to, you know, learn from him and to, you know, pick up tricks and to um, really just connect with. So, you know, Mike is a fantastic player, uh, fantastic person, even though he doesn't fit the timeline. You know, especially hearing some of the things about his family uh, and then just his general market. I don't know that it really behooves the Jazz to uh, to move him at this point. And, and I think that's why we haven't seen a deal at all. So let's talk uh, Larry Markkinen. Uh, th- this one was super interesting because they asked him a lot about Eurobasket, where he absolutely uh, just dominated, was was balling out, and uh, asked him a lot about it, and he said that uh, he was able to prove to himself his abilities. He said he always knew what he had the capacity to, to do, but demonstrating it at a at a really high level still. And, and he recognized too that it's you know a, a different game, a different level of competition than in the NBA, but still Eurobasket, high high level. And so him proving to himself of that, he said it boosted his confidence at an all-time high and that he's really, really interested in, in showing what he can do this year, showing more of that um, ball-in-hand action and being able to create for himself and others. He's interested in showing more of that within a team structure. You know, you think about it, um, and, and we look into the data, the three-point attempt rate that Laurie had been demonstrating the last two seasons is prototypical of someone who's off-ball, catch-and-shoot type opportunities. Um, you know, 55% of his, his shots came as threes. In Eurobasket, where the ball's in his hand more, he's the primary uh, offensive engine. 35% of his shots came from three. But here's the interesting part. He had an uptick in in efficiency. Over his last two seasons in the NBA, 38% uh, efficiency for Larry Markkinen. In Eurobasket, that ballooned to 40%. Now, what does that really tell us? Well, that, that says... I think it validates what he's saying about the confidence that him proving to himself what, what he can do uh, took it to another level. And, and I think that's what's demonstrative of that. He may entirely go back to 38% shooting or potentially worse this upcoming season. But what I think that shows is that uh, that when the stakes are high, when it's when it's on him, uh, you know, he can still produce at a high level. And he's going to have much more of those opportunities, ball in hand, creating for himself and for others here in Utah than he did in Chicago two years ago or in Cleveland last year. And so I, I think that's going to be really, really interesting to, to follow. Also, looking at just some peripheral numbers, again, with, with Eurobasket and some of the, the FIBA websites, really, really tough to get uh, some of the more advanced or 
or contextual based numbers that we like to look at. So we're kind of doing the best that we can. But his free throw attempt rate in the last two seasons in the NBA, 20%. Um, that's, you know, s- still indicative of a spot up type shooter and somebody who is, you know, getting those assisted attempts and, and not really going off the dribble, um, creating in space, drawing fouls, that type of thing. Whereas in Eurobasket, 44% uh, free throw attempt rate. So that's telling me that in a more physical game, when he's got the ball in hand, he's he's going hard to the hoop. He's showing off his athleticism, his length, and he's making, you know, legit defenders and in a style with FIBA rules that are more conducive to physicality and you know it's harder to to draw fouls. You know, he was able to take that up a notch. So, you know, some of these things are really starting to give me hope that, hey, you know, the lottery we're likely to get this season is probably somewhere in the middle of what he showed in Eurobasket. He's not going to be at that level, not in the NBA. But he's also likely at a new confidence and opportunity level relative to what he has been in the last two years in Chicago and Cleveland. Also, assist to turnover rate. Um, as a spot-up shooter, uh, not ball-dominant, uh, a lot of assisted field goal attempts, uh, 1.6 assists to every turnover. In Eurobasket, 1.7. A lot more ball in hand, a lot more uh, you know, opportunities and, and, and frankly, responsibilities uh, to capitalize, and he was still performing at a high level. I'm super, exci- I'm super excited for Markkanen. Uh, just just to see what what levels he's at and I do I do anticipate it falling somewhere in between what we saw in, in Eurobasket and what he's been at in the past two years and we'll see what uh, what kind of role will Hardy carves out for him okay Jared Vanderbilt this guy you know was was uh, a component of the Rudy Gobert trade the focus of that was always the picks always the swaps uh, but Jared ba- Vanderbilt um, this long athletic uh, physical and uh, quick imposing uh, player uh, who uh, demonstrates his skills uh, outside of of you know pure self-creation scoring but in hustle and rebounding uh, in defense um, in disruption in, in cutting attacking the cup you know, he was thrown into this trade, and, and we're really excited for him. I mean, everything I described there is what Will Hardy said will be the hallmark and the staple, the reputation of this team this season. That's that's what they're preaching. He said that he wants to be competitive on both ends. He wants to set a tone, lead by example. He wants to be vocal on defense. Uh, I, I think that he's going to be one of the, uh, one of the hallmarks of who this Utah Jazz team is this year. I'm really excited to see it. Malik Beasley, what, what really impressed me for him was how how intent he is on rebranding himself. Um, so he first shows up there uh, at Media Day, talks about conditioning, talks about all he wants to do is winning, basically checking out the first two boxes that Will Hardy and Justin Zanuck have been preaching that we want to, to be well-conditioned, play with toughness, physicality, and that uh, we want to build a winning culture. And those were the, the first two things that he, he was remarking on. And lastly, he kind of wrapped up his statements by saying that he wants to prove the type of guy he is. 
You know, he has had legal trouble. He has had suspensions in the past. And uh, he's made a big effort since there, since then to demonstrate who he is. You know, he came to his um, his introduction to the media after the Gobert trade. It was via Zoom, but he came in a in a shirt and tie um, because he said that, uh, you know, he wants to rebrand himself as more of a professional. He talked about his family. You know, he talked about wanting to pursue the um, uh, the community assist award. Uh, for the NBA this season and uh, what we didn't see on camera but after the fact it turns out as Eric Walden and the Salt Lake Tribune demonstrated uh, and, and tweeted was that it was a first for him in that Malik Beasley when the, the camera shut off and and there's a transitionary period Malik stayed a few extra minutes and started asking one of the reporters questions and and uh, you know and commenting about uh, about them and their their personal lives and things I, I think he really really wants to rebrand himself as as just a really good dude and I, at, at this point I think uh, I think we give him the benefit of the doubt and, and we see what happens but I, I'm excited for Malik the, the dude can play absolute shooter and he's in a contract year. He's got a lot to prove. Talon Horton Tucker, uh, you know, this guy, super young, uh, been over, you know, perpetually overhyped within the Lakers organization, but now lands here in Utah and just talks about how he and several of the other guys on the team, they're just young, hungry, and he's looking forward to the fresh start. And I think it'll be a great opportunity for him to get out of the bright lights of LA and all of those expectations and playing with these mega stars and kind of get back to, you know, his, his roots of playing at, uh, at Iowa and, and kind of, uh, you know, being that, uh, that person who, you know, wasn't the, wasn't the standout freshman, um, but, you know, worked his way into being, uh, you know, a standout and, uh, and recruited. So I'm excited to see see Talon, see what he does. Plenty of of time to improve, um, but we'll see in what ways he can he can make an impact on this team, uh, despite not being uh, a prolific shooter. Uh, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, what was interesting about him is is they you know asked him, being one of the the few carryovers from last team, you know asked him quite a bit about about what it was like going through the off season where uh, the team was turned over in such a traumatic way. He mentioned that he understands the, the business um, that, you know, on, on the surface, it's, it's tough for your mental health, you know, seeing all, all those things, but he's gotten to a good place. He's controlling what he can control. And I think, you know, we've always understood JC to be the, the type to kind of acclimate to whatever situation he's in. But Colin also mentioned that uh, that he's looked up to JC and that he always adapts and thrives in whatever situation situation he is in. You know, like him or or hate him. You know, frustrated or excited by his uh, style of play. Um, I, I think he is a good example of embracing change and, and being at peace with it. Um, Oshai Abaji, uh, man, I'm so so excited for this guy. He he said that he's really motivated to improve and show more. Uh, four years of Kansas, uh, at Kansas, you know, he really developed as a player. Came into his uh, his tenure uh, as you know 
slotted to redshirt his first season at Kansas and last minute was thrown into the to the rotation wasn't expected to to do much and and slowly worked into a, a bigger role there and he said that he, you know he's all focused about the opportunity this year I've wanted to show more within the team construct do whatever's needed focus on the role um, but uh, he specifically talked about that you know he wants to do more on ball he wants to read the defense and he wants to play make for others you know i i've pegged him as the the player archetype that's that 3d and d uh, zach Lowe mentioned that on a recent episode of the low post that it's you know shooting the three it's defense and it's driving it's not enough to just stand in the corner and shoot when you're open you get the ball but when you're not open, you get that ball and there's a hard closeout. You don't freeze. The ball doesn't stop. The advantage doesn't die out. But that you can drive, attack that closeout, build off the advantage and play make out of it. That's something Royce O'Neal wasn't able to do. Just like Mikel Bridges out in Phoenix, Cam Johnson in Phoenix as well, Lonzo Ball, Chicago, and Desmond Bain in Memphis. You know, these aren't guys who are just fantastic defensively, um, snipers from the three-point line, uh, but they all can attack that closeout and play make out of it. And and that's that's the type of uh, player archetype I think that, um, that Oshai is really well-suited for. Okay, Simone Fontecchio. Uh, really, really excited about this guy. Uh, balled out again in Eurobasket. But really what he was just mentioning is that, hey, at 27 years old now, uh, with a family, um, he's really kind of just approaching this opportunity with gratitude, uh, with an attitude of, of learning and developing himself. He mentioned he's a good shooter. He plays defense, um, and, and he really runs the floor hard. Those are some of his, his hallmarks. But then said that he really needs to improve his handle. You know, he, he wants to learn how to read the defense better, operate as a pick-and-roll ball handler. And, you know, those are fantastic. And I think he'll be given every opportunity to do so here in, uh, in Utah. Walker Kessler basically got up on the podium and started walking uh, everybody through the logic or his personal logic and decision tree almost of how he processes uh, defense. Um, and I, I thought that really demonstrated just his cerebral intelligence. And I, I think he is, um, he's got the IQ uh, to be uh, a big man who can last in the NBA for a long time. Uh, what's going to be, uh, you know, interesting for him is if you know he's got the foot speed, uh, if he's you know able to handle the uh, you know the big bodies that that are thrown at him. Uh, you know the the Jokic and Embiid. Can he just be passable? You know your average center. Can he get to that level against those kind of guys? Uh, but then can he also? you know, defend in space, you know, can he uh, stay on the floor against, you know, switchy lineups and, and those that have more speed, quickness and, uh, you know, and herky jerky. So those will be, you know, the, the things for him to, to see. And, and he's well, well aware of that and, and uh, said that he uh, is digging into a lot of film and, and, and trying to acclimate as quickly as he can. But uh, I'm excited for him. We'll see, we'll see where he's at, but, uh, um, you know, at the, at the moment, doesn't seem like there's any reason we shouldn't be high on him. All right, Yudoka Azubuki. 
Honestly, you know, it's it's on par for the type of interviewee he is, but uh, it was frankly kind of a painful interview in that, uh, you know, one-word answers, uh, not not very, uh, you know, prone to expound. Um, but he really focused on that on his health, that, uh, you know, he's working on his conditioning. He commented that he's not approved for five-on-five work yet. Um, so... You know, he, he may he may entirely be ready, you know, by the by the start of the year. But, uh, you know, word on the street is that uh, that the team wasn't very impressed with his um, with kind of his work ethic and things and uh, and his progress thus far. Frankly, he, he's another cut candidate, even though he was the jazz uh, first round pick of two years ago. And although, you know, he was uh, the second highest rated player in the draft per the Jazz internal team metrics, so says Dennis Lindsay, you know, the fact is, you know, he's at that point where it's, hey, hey, you, you got to put it all together or, uh, you know, you might be off the team. Stanley Johnson, another guy who came over in the Patrick Beverly trade with Taylor Horton Tucker. He again mentioned how it's all about opportunity chance and and he's learned to value those opportunities in his career and he looks forward to them. You know, he's a guy who was, uh, you know, a big time recruit, really successful at Arizona, lottery pick to Detroit, bounced around the league, uh, out of it for a while, then had a renaissance in in LA and absolutely torched the Jazz in a game last year. Um, And, you know, he's another cut candidate, but. You know he's the he's the prototype that uh, I think the Jazz are looking for now. Um, that can play up temple, that can play physical, that can uh, be defensive minded. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I I, I I would anticipate him squeezing by and, and barely missing the cuts. But you know, we'll we'll see what uh, comes out of training camp. Jared Butler, whew. So he, he really mentioned that, uh, you know, he's learned to stay away from impractical ceilings in a way. Uh, you know, he didn't use that phrase verbatim, but just that, uh, you know, in the past, he's kind of just gotten caught up in what his own ambitions were in, in a way. And uh, again, similar to Azubuki, where it is, the team wasn't very impressed with his showing in Summer League. Another cut candidate. Yeah, he was our draft pick last year, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, the... Uh, you know, the team has a fairly decent read on on him, and uh, and it's now time to either put it together or, um, or you know, the team might be moving on because there's a lot, a lot of opportunities out there, a lot of guys that can fill these spots, and, uh, and you really got to show out. So we'll see if he does. Nikhil Alexander Walker uh, mentioned the change is hard; it brings risk. Um, He's, he's learning to let go of the negative, kind of take it day by day, which, you know, I think is great. Uh, in, in a way, potentially JC might have uh, influenced that there. But, uh, again, another cut candidate. You know, he's he was in uh, New Orleans, uh, now with the Jazz. Uh, he's, gotten a, he's gotten a few reps, a few opportunities. He showed some flashes last year. But, you know, it's, it's to the point where there's, you know, we're just running out of roster spots. So Kelly Olenek wasn't present during the Jazz Media Day, just with the logistics of the Bojan Bogdanovic trade. 
Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee weren't weren't able to make it. Um, we haven't heard anything about Saban Lee thus far. As far as I know, he hasn't been interviewed uh, or presented to the media. Saban Lee's a small guard, another guy who can't shoot. Um, he was drafted by Detroit, second round. He's cousin to Trent Forrest. So, I, I, you know, I think that he's uh, he's one of the first guys in line to be cut. Uh, Kelly Olynyk, however, uh, I think is is probably one of the uh, smarter picks for uh, starting day one for the Utah Jazz. Kind of one of those combo bigs, historically kind of been a four as the league has kind of morphed and evolved. Uh, been playing a lot more center. Uh, he can shoot the three. Uh, he's active on defense. He can rebound. Uh, he's a he's a big guy for Danny Ainge. Danny drafted him. You know, loves the guy. Uh, Hardy specifically mentioned today his his versatility, his knowledge of the game, and this was this was you know a trade in the Boyan Bogdanovich trade. Per all reports, the real motivation behind this this trade, getting Kelly Olynyk in for the Utah Jazz, was all about having quality pieces to surround uh, this young core, so that we can truly evaluate them. You know, just like when when we're playing pickup basketball, you know, if somebody you know, uh, you know, drops every pass that you know we give them, uh, you know, or or can't dribble the ball up the court or whatever, uh, then you know anybody who's who's just halfway decent can't even show show what they're made of, can't even show their potential, um, and that's a very very small micro example of what could actually happen on on a bigger level in an actual NBA team where if you don't just have a have a solid foundation of people who can set screens and who can operate an offense and uh, you know who can you know coach around defensive schemes and and communicate you know just having some of those basic foundational things that are very very commonplace and inherent to veterans of the league in Kelly Olynyk and Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson ha- being devoid of that and just having a ragtag team of people figuring it out on the fly really kind of uh, I guess narrows your ability to truly evaluate uh, them individually and as a whole so I think that's part of the motivation agree with it or not that's that's the pitch we've gotten thus far and we do know Danny's a big Kelly guy so we'll see how it goes so the Jazz got to cut four guys. Uh, you know they've got a lot of guaranteed rosters, but there's only so many roster spots. So my feelings thus far, based based entirely on what we know about the players, what their their contracts are so far, uh, what we know about uh, about all of them, um, the preconceived notions, and um, a lot of what was mentioned at at media day, right? Will Hardy talking about, you know, what the goals for the team are, what the style of play is, um, kind of factoring that all in mind. I don't see how Yudoka Azubuke remains on the team. I, I just don't. I think he's been underwhelming despite the brief flashes. I think his injury history has absolutely uh, hampered his ceiling, his ability to demonstrate what he could do. You know, where he, you know, absolutely dominates as a physical specimen, as an incredible athlete. You know, I, I think he lacks that uh, that IQ that can help him maximize and optimize those physical tools. Whereas kind of the opposite is there for Walker Kessler. He's got that IQ, lacks the physical tools, 
and they are interesting models for each other. The problem is Azubuke is two uh, two years ahead in that uh, in his career. You know, Walker Kessler is just getting started, so Kessler kind of has is playing with house money in a way, and uh, and I would bet that he's more impressive in camp anyways. Uh, I, I think that he'll probably embody what uh, the coaching staff is looking for even more, frankly. Uh, then Saban Lee, again, I, I think the Jazz kind of saw the story with Trent Forrest. I think that's probably Saban Lee's like best-case scenario, and uh, you know we eventually moved on from him as well, so uh, I think he's getting cut. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, I would bet on him being cut and... Unfortunately, Jared Butler, you know, we're very crowded at the guard spot, you know, his, his archetype as, you know, a small score first type, uh, point guard, uh, I think it can get complicated, um, in, in terms of, you know, how successful it can be. Uh, you know, there are obviously outliers out there, but you know, I, I think those are the four I'd pin down, uh, Saban Lee, Yudoka Azubuki. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jared Butler are the four that I'd probably peg to uh, be most likely for the Jazz to cut. Well, thanks so much for listening. That wraps everything up for us here on the Jabber Jazz front for today. Uh, we'll be bringing you more content throughout the, the week, but more more importantly throughout the entirety of the season and beyond uh, if you like what you were doing if you like the content that we put out here if you'd like to support us first thing is just to subscribe to the podcast on your uh, on the podcatcher of your choice follow us on twitter at jabber underscore jazz uh, and search for us on youtube uh, leave a review uh, we, we love your honest feedback as long as it's constructive and we'll try to make sure that we're delivering you the best experience possible if you're still looking for ways to support us, uh, consider uh, hitting up our, our merchandise store. Uh, link is in the description below. And, uh, and I'm sure you'll find some, some quality uh, gear there where you can rep, uh, rep Jabber Jazz and the modest proceeds will help ensuring that we can deliver some awesome content to you guys. So until next time, get to Jabbering Jazz and we'll leave you with some sounds of jazz.